The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 26 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie. And this week, Zandrick Ellison is on paternity leave. And we are joined by Chris Horwadell. And Chris, I guess we can safely assume that Zandrick has the top pick in the 2039 NBA draft. Is that a fair assumption? <laughs> I'm going to have to see more of the tape before I go making those statements. But yeah, I'm thrilled to be here for Zandrick. Congratulations to him. That's incredible to have the kid. And uh, I'm just happy to be here in general, Tyler. Oh, I I, uh, I am too. And I think Zan, he texted me that he needed to take the week off for load management. So he's not officially <laughs> saying that this is paternity leave because, you know, yeah. in the NBA guys are only out a couple days. So, but Zan, we're thinking about you out there. Uh, as far as big stories go, it's fun that you're on this week because I can never have a really scholarly discussion about Russell Westbrook with Zandrick because he just is, he just is not a fan of Russell Westbrook. And it's ironic because Tuesday night, Russell Westbrook posts the second 2020-20 game in NBA history. I believe Wilt Chamberlain has the other one. Mm-hmm. Russ goes for 20 points, 21 rebounds, and 20 assists, if I am correct. Or 21 assists and 20 rebounds. And I'm curious, 8 for 23 shooting. So the shooting woes continue for Russ. But, you know, your thoughts on a, on just a 2020-20 game in general. Well, that's incredible. A 2020, I mean, like you said, it's been done twice in the history of basketball. The other guy was Wilt Chamberlain. It's, anytime you're in the same conversation as Wilt Chamberlain, you did something remarkable. And that's certainly the case with Westbrook. I, uh, I struggle with the Westbrook stuff, I guess. And I find myself playing devil's advocate to the media a little bit. We've, we've gotten to the point in the media where Westbrook has gotten so much hate and he's just such a divisive player that he's actually become wildly underrated. And the the first time I actually heard somebody say this was a guy who you know pretty well, you've had on uh, your other show, Create Your Shot, which is spectacular if people aren't listening to it, is a guy named Eagle Witt. Uh, I was listening to the Hangtime podcast that we have here on the Underdog Network. And Eagle mentioned that Russell Westbrook has, there's been this 180 where he is now so 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 hated that he's actually underrated. This guy is spectacular. He averaged a triple double, and he didn't start in the All Star game. This that's that's MVP type numbers, and we just take it for granted at this point. That is how good Russell Westbrook is. Does he stat hunt? Sure. Does that Thunder team play a brand of basketball where maybe some of those rebounds are funneled to Westbrook? Sure. But that kind of stuff doesn't happen if that team doesn't completely buy in both to the system and to who Russell Westbrook is as a human being. I I mean, Chris, this is going to be the third year in a row he averages a triple-double in a season. And, Mm -hmm. and, And we're not at a point where the pace right now is even as fast as it was when Oscar Robertson averaged a triple double in a season. And it feels like we are going out of our way to discredit Russell Westbrook. And I, I get it. He's, historically, he's having one of the worst shooting seasons from a perimeter player of all time. <laughs> like, yes. you, you cannot argue with that. But at the same time, 
Like the whole idea that, I don't know, there's just this thought process that Russ makes the Thunder worse. And I don't understand that. I, I can't imagine like, is he not going to make an all NBA team? Are we really going to turn our nose up at a guy averaging a triple double because he's done it two straight seasons and he's not going to make an all NBA team? I, I think that is going to happen. And that seems crazy to me. Like it really seems crazy to me, Chris. Yeah, by the way, two steals a game too. So he, he is playing defense, even if it's that Iverson-esque defense where he's really just playing the passing lanes. But he's putting up numbers and you can't discount that. There was, I, I think he's gotten a lot of crap because of the Russell Westbrook-Kevin Durant dynamic. And the thing that's interesting over the last couple of years, watching the evolution of Kevin Durant become himself and beco- being w- more willing to actually speak what he's thinking, maybe it was Durant's fault. I think that's entirely possible. Look at Paul George goes to this team and he's playing some of the best basketball of his life alongside with Russell Westbrook. And those two seem to get along marvelously. Maybe this was Durant's fault. Maybe we've been faulting the wrong guy for this fallout the whole time. And and one of the funnier things about the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook drama, I, I will say, is that for the longest time, everybody was getting angry at like Russ, like, oh, stop, you know, stop taking mid-range jump shots, like stop taking the ball out of Durant's hands. And we've seen that like, Durant in Golden State has wanted to just shoot mid-range jump shots for the majority of crunch time in games like and he kind of takes the ball out of Steph Curry's hands a little bit so and (laughs) and it doesn't you know it it probably doesn't matter at the end of the day that the Warriors are just so good and and so hard to guard because of you know kind of their spurt ability if you will even if you do get an off game from Durant or Curry you rarely get one from both and they end up playing fine together. But I agree with you. There is a little bit more of like the Durant has a hard time being even considered 1A and 1B. Like he doesn't really want to be 1A. He wants to be 1, not one and 1A and 1B. Or he wants it to be 1 and 2. And I think you can see that sometimes in Golden State as well. Yeah, there's there, there's a clear delineation in his mind for sure. He wants to be the guy. He, You know, this is this was the, the fortuitous events that led to him coming there where Golden State happened to lose. He he would not have been able to join that Golden State team had they won the World, uh, the World Series. That would have been an incredible feat. But had they won the NBA Finals, because he needs to be viewed as a savior. He needs to be viewed as the guy who is so good that he pushes the rest of the team over the top. Even when you're talking about a team with four, you know, four all-stars, you know, I think what eight guys have scored 50 points in the NBA this season and three of them are Golden State Warriors. It's loaded like we've never seen before. But but Kevin is kind of made himself the guy in Golden State. And now, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with him this offseason. I I don't like Westbrook as a person. Just he comes off gruff and just kind of unlikable to me. I respect him as a basketball player. Part of this is my you know, my siding with the great Joel Embiid and the, the great Embiid-Westbrook battle. But yeah, I, I do I do accept that maybe we've been putting the blame on the wrong, peop- uh, wrong person's shoulders here in Westbrook. He might not have been the problem. I do think it's going to be really exciting as we get closer to free agency. You know, your point about how Kevin Durant needed to be viewed as a savior is hilarious because convincing yourself in your mind that you're going to be a savior. And and surely maybe in 2016, he did not know that they would have three other future Hall of Famers. But I'm firmly <laughs> in the camp that like Draymond Green is going to probably get into the Hall of Fame based on what his numbers and his peak have looked like. Just the sheer amount of titles, if and when they win this year, it'll be four titles for Draymond Green. It's, it's going to be hard for him to not be there. 
But I'm fairly certain that we're going to, you know, I'm going to go on BovadaSportsbook.com and, and I'm going to look and see, like, Kevin Durant wants to be a savior. Is it, is it the Knicks? Is that who he wants to play with? Or is it the Clippers? Does he feel like if he goes to the Clippers and Kawhi goes to the Clippers, then he's the savior there? And, and I think it's going to be – I think you're exactly right, Chris, and I know you've talked to me about this before. You don't think he's going to go to the Knicks, and I've been peddling that for the last year on this show – but there only are a few options for him to go and feel like he's the guy because I think we're getting to the point now where if they win three titles in a row, people aren't necessarily saying like, oh, that's all Kevin Durant. And he's going to need to prove that he can do it with it being his show because no matter what he thinks, no matter how good he plays, Steph Curry did it before he was there. Right. And so, right. You're 100% right. Yeah. And that's where I think, that's where I think it's very difficult for. Durant to kind of look at the free agent landscape and not feel like I need to go somewhere else and it needs to be a team that I form because that's the one thing he hasn't done so far in his career. Right. He's tagged along and pushed people, pushed a team that has already reached the top back over the top. (laughs) This is you, you talked about Bavada earlier and there's a reason that Golden State is minus 220. Like this team is just so ridiculously loaded. (laughs) It's, It's crazy. I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. Oh, and some some breaking news, by the way. Kobe White declares for the draft. I think we all saw that coming. But uh, <laughs> somewhere somewhere out there, Zandra can appreciate that. Hope you're listening. But, you know, the, the, the Golden State thing is crazy. I want to talk to you about Durant and, uh, and about Draymond in a second. But I just think Durant to New York is such a terrible decision for him. Because he is one of the most thinned, thin-skinned superstars that we have ever seen. It's crazy how easily things get to him and how willing he is to engage with people about them. The New York media, if they struggle, will eat him alive. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Is, is the New York media really as bad as people claim, Chris? You're, you're, a more, yes. you're a more seasoned media member than I am. I, I try to toe the line between coach and media member, you know, like Fran Fraschiller or Seth Greenberg, where you, you exonerate yourself <laughs> of all the bad parts of being a media member, but also don't have any of the good parts or bad parts of being a coach. Like you're not getting fired for results typically. But I have always heard this whole rumor about the New York media being just brutal to deal with. The New York teams have just been terrible for a long time. Are we really worried about the New York media just eviscerating Kevin Durant if they get there and they don't win? The Knicks have made the playoffs, what, twice in the last, I mean, since 1998? Is that right? I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's correct. I know. But they've been, they went to the finals <laughs> in 98 in the lockout year. And then the last time they made the playoffs was 2012 with Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah, I think you're I think you're taking recency bias into play a little bit here just because you're right. The Knicks teams and uh, you know a lot of the New York teams in general have struggled. The Knicks have the Knicks have had no expectations. And when there's no expectations on a team, then it's easy to jump over that bar. When you add a Kevin Durant and you know, let's not kid ourselves, it won't just be Kevin Durant. It'll be Kevin Durant plus, you know, Ky- Kyrie is the most likely candidate, but I, I actually think he might end up back in LA. Um, then all of a sudden there are expectations. And when they fail to meet those expectations, that New York media will go absolutely bananas on Durant. And Kevin Durant does not have the personality to take that in stride. 
It's an interesting segue. I do want to talk about the Warriors for a second because they are spectacular. And like you said, they are currently, I mean, the fact that they're better than even money or they're worse than even money to win the NBA yeah. finals on Bavada is just an absolute joke. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's a situation where it, I don't know that it makes the NBA less fun. And I, I do think Milwaukee can put a scare in them. I don't know if Toronto can. I, I want to see them play Houston again, but that may not be as fun as we think it will be. And it's just the bottom line. They played Denver last night. They appear to really get up to play Denver. It's a home game. They went 116 to 102. I'm excuse, excuse me. They played Tuesday night. I'm sorry about that. But Denver currently the two seed in the West, but two uh, they, they're only two games up on Houston and, or one game up on Houston and, and two games up on Portland. So it, it is very possible that they do not end up with the two seed. But is is this really what we're seeing in the West that like Golden State is substantially better than? Denver, like, I mean, Jokic has had an unbelievable year. It's probably going to be him or Embiid who's going to be first-team All-NBA center, although I do think Rudy Gobert has had a a very good case as well. But they just get, you know, you get 28 and 13 from DeMarcus Cousins, who some days just looks like he's not ready to play, and he just absolutely punks Jokic last night, 28, 13, and 5. I mean, have the Warriors taken the fun out of the Western Conference for you, Chris? Yes, yes, point blank, yes. I, I have spoken time and time and time and time and time again about my disdain for super teams. And I, I, I think it's the dumbest thing. I think there needs to be competitive balance to keep other fan bases interested. It's bad for the league. You know, I know it, it's wonderful for the team that is reaping the benefits of it, in this case, the Warriors. And I don't fault the Warriors. They played within the system, did everything right, hit on – on you know mid lottery draft picks in Steph Curry and Draymond and um, and Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, they got Draymond Green in the second round. They build a team like you're supposed to build a team. They they took advantage of the giant salary cap jump to get Durant. They brought in like you know they they bring in Boogie because he wants to kind of screw everybody else. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> but but it, they did they didn't do anything wrong. I don't fundamentally have a problem with the Warriors. I just think it's terrible and boring for basketball. I And I think there's such a simple solution, and I've said it before, hard cap, hard cap, hard cap, no max contracts. Let teams pay as much money as they want for their superstar, and they have to get everybody else in under a certain amount. Now, that's actually... Yeah, this will be. This is going to be a pretty good episode. I'm already excited. Sorry, Zandrick, you're you're getting cheated on this week, and I'm I'm, I'm enjoying myself. So hard cap, really good, really good idea. I think uh, no max contracts. I love the idea of that. I do think defending the Warriors is is something we don't often do on this show, but they do also need to get credit. Like they got very lucky with Steph Curry's contract. He he did not become this sort of generational player until after they signed him to this four-year, $40 million deal, which allowed them to take advantage of the big cap spike. They also fired Mark Jackson and they went into, you know, they hired Steve Kerr. They were like, we won 50 games two years in a row. We won a playoff series, but we can be better than this. And very few teams make decisions like that with the foresight in mind of being like, we need to hire a guy that can play this way. So their front office deserves an absolute ton of credit. But at this point now, we're going to look at the new CBA. It's going to be 2022 at this point. And I think, Chris, I don't think we'll ever see a hard cap. I agree. They do need to probably up max deals because 
you know, unfortunately, teams hamstring themselves with supermax deals, and and we'll get to Ernie Grunfeld being fired in a second. But <laughs> you know, just with with the John Wall deal. But yeah, those types of supermax deals they need to protect stars, and if teams want to spend a lot of money to to find a superstar and rebuild that way. Because now that they've re- they've reformed the lottery where you only have a 14% chance because of tanking, thanks a lot, Sam Hinkie, like there aren't as many inefficiencies to spot in the market right now. And I would really push very hard for no max salaries because I think it would be very interesting if like say – I don't even know. Say Utah just decided one day, you know what? We're going to pay as much money as we can if Joel Embiid's a free agent. And we're going to sign him and, and that's going to be the guy that we try to go to war with and build a perfect team around one guy. That would be much more exciting than I think what we're seeing in the NBA right now. Yeah, there was an unintended consequence of a good idea with the max contracts. And that unintended consequence was now that anytime anyone is halfway decent and hits free agency, they get a max contract. It, it did. This did not play out the way the NBA thought it was going to when you know we they changed that CBA and all of a sudden – there were they did a great job with the rookie contracts. That was something that needed to happen. You know, we we remember Glenn Robinson coming out of Purdue asking for a hundred million dollars before he ever hit an NBA court. <laughs> did would not have earned that money, by the way. And I say that as a, a 76ers fan who got the pleasure of watching Big Dog play for a season. But but this this max contract thing has hurt the league because it really does hamstring teams. You know, you have guys making max deals who just should not be making max deals. It's crazy. I, remember, I remember Matt Geiger got a max contract in Philadelphia when they brought him in. You know, people like that. If you eliminate this, and just like you said, some small market team wants to go and say, hey, you know, Kevin Durant's a free agent, Kyrie Irving's a free agent, Kawhi Leonard's a free agent, I will give them, you know, 70% of my cap room because I don't have any chance to get them otherwise. And by the way, they're probably worth that money to the team. You know, a Kawhi or a Leonard or a Durant or a Kyrie is probably worth $70 million I would agree. I would to agree one with of that. these teams. I would agree with that for sure. Then all of a sudden, there's no more super teams. You know, you, you're not getting – sure, guys will take pay, you know, will take pay in decreases at the end of their careers to play with better players and have a chance to go back to the playoffs and go back to the finals. That's always going to happen. But you're never going to see – a situation like there was in Miami again, when a bunch of in their peak guys all of a sudden sign with the same team. You're never going to see that again. It's also, like I said, some of this has been like poor GMs have done a bad job managing cap spikes and max contracts. Other time, other GMs, good GMs like Masai, guys like that, Bob Myers, very clearly a pretty good GM, have, have done a very good job of that. And then there's some other situations where it's like guys just got lucky. Like you just got a ton of dumb luck that the cap spiked and Kevin Durant's the most sensitive superstar in the NBA and you can sign that guy. Like the Lakers, right? They go get LeBron. They have max. They have a ton of cap room and then they they build a team around LeBron with Rajon Rondo and Lance <laughs> Stevenson and Michael Beasley. Like there's an example of bad general managing, right? So if you do the max contract deal, you probably, you give guys a chance to compete without having to also get lucky. And I think that's part of it. Because right now, like the difference between good GMs, your, like I said, your Masai's or your Bob Myers, or I, I would I would include uh, Tim Connolly in that right now. Like those, Elton Brand. Yeah, Elton Brand's doing a good job, really good job. But Sam Hinkie, you know, they cleared the cap sheets and, and they had money to spend and we'll get to the Sixers. But those guys are running circles around the other like 15 terrible gen- general managers in the league. So this way you kind of reset it a little bit, but that is probably why I think this won't ever happen. 
because I think owners are going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we have a good GM, like I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that inefficiency, if you will, like where, where we can take advantage of terrible teams, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. And I, I understand where that's coming from. I, you know, this is just at some point we're going to have to step in and fix a broken system because this NBA free agency system is very broken right now. They took steps, albeit short-sighted, weird, and we'll see how it works out. Steps with the draft lottery, like you said, top whatever four teams have a 14% chance. I think, uh, so I, I like to talk about Tankathon every single time I do a show. <laughs> Matt's, a, Matt's a, f- a good friend of the of the site. Matt's done a lot of shows with us. And uh, I like to support that guy because nobody's ever heard of that website before. Let's see, right now on Tankathon, the number 13 team, well, I guess I guess it kind of drops off after you're tied at eight here, but you're Washington Wizards, your beloved Wizards, Tyler. They have a 5.2% chance of uh, winning the lottery right now as, as a team tied with the eighth worst record in the NBA. That is only 8.8% lower than the top teams in, you know, in New York and Phoenix and in Cleveland. This is going to be interesting to see how this plays out because I could see this being a very short lived uh, change to the lottery. If we see, you know, first of all, if we see the Lakers jump up from 11 to one or two, the conspiracy theorists are going to be just going overboard. I, I said I said last week if that happened, like as a guy who has loved the NBA for my entire life, like if the Lakers win the lottery, like I'm going to have a real hard time turning on next year and being like, do we really have to watch LeBron and Zion? Because like I want to root for Zion. He's super fun to root for. It's like, but at the end of the day, like if that happens, like it's going to be a real tough pill to swallow, I think. I, I really feel that way. Well, how about, how about Lakers at one, Boston at two, Minnesota at three? Now, and this is this is feasible. I, I don't like the new lottery reform. I don't think it's fair that the NBA was like, look, we've talked about, you and I specifically have talked about Sam Hinkie ad nauseum, but like, it is not fair to me that the NBA was like, you know what, this guy was open about a, a market inefficiency in our system. And, and and by the way, like the Sixers haven't won the NBA title, so it's not a problem. Like, it's just- no, They won the lottery once, One time. <laughs> and it's like, it's just because he openly was like, we're going to tank. And it's like, this is a better way to get better. And because they're, the lottery system in the NBA or because the draft in the NBA is not the same as it is in baseball where teams tank regularly, but players are further away, so it doesn't really hurt you. It's, it's, it's like the NBA was like, oh, shit, like we made this mistake, but now we're going to clean it. We're going to clean it up when nobody did anything wrong. They just looked at a system that also was poor. And then they were like, this is how we're going to build the team. And hey, like whatever you want to say about the Sixers, whether they ever win a title with this core of guys and, and who knows what will happen if, if and when the Warriors actually break up. But like it's been a success in terms of building a sustainable winning team. And it's not fair that because that way worked that other teams now aren't allowed to go that route. And the NBA is like, oh, we have to fix something that really wasn't a problem to begin with. Like the the interest in the Sixers as a team winning 10 games a year was actually pretty darn high amongst people that watch the NBA because it was so fun to watch an experiment unfold. Well, let's not go crazy. As someone who was there for all of those, uh, those process years, you know, it's the Sixers have come a long way. They're they're plus 1200 on Bavada to win the NBA finals right now. I I once wa- I once uh, once I once watched a, a game in Freudian, person. Freudian slip there. Yeah, there you Wait. go. Uh, fingers crossed for a big bounce back season from Carson. But I once watched a, a game in person 
when the 76ers started a 208 year old Elton brand, uh, Henry Sims was the power. was the center. Oh God. I, who was it? Hollis Thompson was the three. I think, uh, Casper Ware was the starting point guard. And I forget who started at the two that day, but it was a, an equally skilled player to those guys. And I got to watch that live. Those games were tough. And that's something, you know, Anshu's going through this a little bit, although he's got a lot more talent right now, where basically you're hoping, you know, this team, this game is going to be competitive, but my team loses in the end. And that's the best you could hope for for three years in Philadelphia when, you know, you're getting up to see, oh, how's this D-League guy going to play? How is McConnell going to earn his contract? When you have to hang your hat on stuff like that, Oh, it is. It is not as much fun as it might seem from the outside. Well, speaking of super teams, as you just mentioned, Podcast One Sportsnet is your home for the best coverage of the Final Four in this year's March Madness. Get all the play-by-plays and top-notch analysis from sportscasting gurus like Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. Then put in your bets with betting expert RJ Bell on RJ Bell's dream preview. And finally, laugh out loud with the biggest name in the game, literally, on the big podcast with Shaq. Download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Podcast One Sportsnet. Yahoo Daily Fantasy is going big this year. With plenty of time to get in on the NBA action, baseball right around the corner, and golf in full swing with the Masters coming up this weekend, it's the perfect time to start playing Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Have you never played Daily Fantasy before? Well, Yahoo has you covered. Unlike those other Daily Fantasy sites that let users enter 150 different lineups in their biggest contests, Yahoo has a 10-entry max. That means better chances for you to win the big contests. You can also try out their daily no management fee contests. Management fee refers to the amount of money the sites take to run contests. As a result, contests with no management fee will have fewer entries with the same amount of prizes, a.k.a. more money for you. So sign up today at yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy or by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app. Get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using promo code POD25. That is POD25. No waiting on the bonus. You can use it immediately to enter contests. Minimum deposit is only $5. One more time, that's the promo code POD25. Thank God, by the way, we're getting the word out that Shaq is around because nobody's ever heard of that guy before. Yeah, and, and a guy that initially <laughs> used free, utilized free agency you know, differently to, than a lot of people, recognizing like if I'm in Hollywood, I can make a lot more money off the court. Yeah, and I, I've said this before, and I've said this with with Zan as well. Like Zion and, and Shaq, they're not the same guy. Obviously, very different in terms of their playing style, but the smile, like the the freakiness of like the body, the athleticism at a young age, like the motor. I mean, that's who Zion Williamson reminds me of, just in terms of like the marketability of a star coming into the NBA. So it's ironic we're talking about tanking teams. But it's also very funny that people are having this discussion about like whether or not Zion's really the best prospect because Chris. It doesn't matter. Even if you don't think Zion's the best player, what owner is going to let their general manager pass up on Zion Williamson and and the cash cow that that guy's going to be for any organization? Right. Well, there's another funny part of this. We talked about the the outrage that would come if the Lakers won the lottery. And, you know, I I know Bavada doesn't have odds on this. I would love to see odds. I would put it at somewhere like minus 500. But come, come May and that's, that uh the NBA lottery if Bavada uh, Bavada if 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 um if the Lakers win the lottery there is a 100% chance that Zion Williamson stars in the sequel of Space Jam 2 
Well, I mean, I've seen the memes before of him and the guy that uh, I don't remember any of the space, the Monstars actual names, but uh, the one that the one that stole Larry Johnson's power in Space Jam one. And I've seen them go like split screen with Zion with a little flat top next to the Larry Johnson Monstar. And, it, you know, the resemblance, it's a little bit there. I could see it. I, yeah, I got it. Sean Bradley's best work, Space Jam. Yeah, or getting dunked on. <laughs> one of the two. Is, is there any chance that, like, like if we see Zion sign with Clutch Sports first and then the Lakers win the lottery, it's, it's I mean, the, the conspiracy theories are just going to be through the roof because that, oh, for, that, for sure. that's going to be very hard to deal with. I personally think, and not that you thought you were going to get in a discussion of what agent Zion's going to sign with. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Rockefeller makes probably the most sense in terms of like the, the international like branding. But I think Aaron Goodwin and Goodwin Sports Management has a real shot because he's the guy that's negotiated the two biggest sneaker deals, one for KD and one for LeBron as rookies. And I feel somewhat strongly that Zion's going to be like, you know what, if there's a chance, I don't know if he can get $100 million as a rookie. I, I would be surprised, but you never know. But I think Zion's going to be like, I want to get as much money as I can on my first deal. And I think that's a guy that's going to have the inside track because, you know, Nike and Adidas, those are really the only two that can afford him, are going to really just back up the Brinks truck, Chris. That's, I mean, and, and that's kind of what I think Zion needs to recognize at this point. Like, you're never going to be. You see maybe Puma just continuing to try and go all out here? I don't know because I just don't know how sustainable it is for a company like Puma. They, they have a, a good amount of players right now, but nobody's making a ton of money. Like, is it really smart to just look at your marketing budget and be like, you know what? We're going to find $50 million for Zion. Because yeah, we know, we know that fair. LeBron and KD took less money from Nike. Like Reebok, I think, offered LeBron well over, uh, well into nine figures and he took less to sign with Nike. I think he took $90 million for Nike. So if that's the Poor case, guy. yeah, I know it's really, it's really just tough to talk about LeBron's off the court earnings, but I, I'm curious. So NCAA tournament, you, you mentioned Kobe White declaring for the draft. I know he was a personal favorite of yours. Uh, we're getting into prospect season. Any surprises, any guys that you watched that you kind of circled for, for later in the first round or early second round picks? Okay. Just to wrap up a loose end from earlier, Bupkis was the monster <laughs> who stole Larry Johnson's talent. <laughs> That's why the people other, tune in. Yes. The others were Pound, Bang, Blanco, and Nat. Nat was Muggsy Bogues, right? Pound yeah, was yes. Charles Barkley, I think. Nope. Nope. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. You're right. You're right. Bupkis was Larry Johnson. Blanco, I don't even... That had to be Sean oh, Bradley. think about... Yeah, there you are. Yeah. And then what was the last one? Bang. And that was Patrick Ewing. That was Patrick Ewing. Five for five. Do you think Patrick Ewing uh, shows recruits at Georgetown... Like Space Jam? <laughs> like, what's more recognizable to Mac McClung? Patrick Ewing as a player or Patrick Ewing the character in Space Jam, do you think? Uh, okay, I have a problem with this because I think our generation was the Space Jam generation. And you're a little bit younger than I am. I don't know I don't know if the Mac McClungs of the world are familiar with Space Jam. And that breaks my heart. You re- Wait, are you, you think so? I don't think so. I don't think so. Space Jam is like a cultural phenomenon. Not a great movie. A lot of plot holes. I think oh, Zach, I think Zach Lowe actually wrote an article about how, like, if the Monstars actually scored as many points as they did in the first half, like, then the Toon Squad would have had to like go on like a two hundred to twenty run or something to win the game. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I think I think people know Space Jam. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Okay, if if you were to guess, what year did Space Jam come out? 
96. Space Jam was 23 years ago. So see, I was seven when Space Jam came out. And I've seen Space Jam 20 times. I owned the Space Jam game for PlayStation. Like, and I was a young guy. I mean, I was younger when Space Jam came out. It was definitely rated PG, right? Oh, it had to have been. I, I don't, yeah. Do you think Looney Tunes now has the kind of crossover appeal that it did back then? Because I watched Looney Tunes with my dad a lot in the mornings. No. So... Yeah, so like, are they going to use Looney Tunes again? Like, they have to, I guess, because it's Warner Brothers, but that's going to kind of cut into the audience a little bit. So in the sense that, like, LeBron has to carry the movie just like MJ did, but Looney Tunes, I guess people aren't as... I mean, I guess they have to have new characters in it, too. Like, you can have bugs and stuff, but you got to add, like, more culturally relevant people to Space Jam 2. <laughs> yes. Uh, by the way, you were seven. Mac McClung was negative four. That makes... As a guy who's not that old, and, and like you said, younger than you, that, that makes me feel pretty old. Guys, we got to take a quick break. Everybody has a favorite pair of jeans. The pair that fits perfectly and always looks great. The pair that you wear out at night, at home, on the couch, at work, wherever. They're the go-to. Do not underestimate their importance. No one knows this better than Wrangler, the authority on jeans using their expertise in comfort and durability. Wrangler jeans are made for the adventurers, the go-getters, folks who like to keep moving, whether you ride a bike, a bronc, or a skateboard, or if you're the type who walks the earth in search of something, these are the jeans for you. Classic or modern styles, a range of fits, at a price that works for you. Vintage re-releases, Wrangler has something for everyone. Visit Wrangler.com and check out their great selection of jeans, shirts, pants, outerwear, all for men and women. They have new styles and great fits. Wrangler, real comfortable jeans. And now... Back to the show. All right. So anyway, Mac McClung, yes. a prospect in the NCAA tournament. They did not. They made the NIT, lost in the first round. But <laughs> that's a great segue. Great job. Yeah. So you know, I'm getting better every every week. Any anybody that you saw that really kind of made you perk up? I guess that you would be looking for. Uh, you know, if you're the Sixers or, or any other team, kind of like trying to build some depth. Okay. There's, a, there's a, actually a lot of guys. Can can we start with one guy who I simply don't understand the fascination with? And I'd love to get your take on him. Because you're certainly tuned into all of this. I talked to Anshu about it quite a bit. What is Brandon Clark in the NBA? I don't understand the appeal. This is a six seven power forward who doesn't and can't shoot threes, doesn't and can't shoot foul shots. What does he bring to this team? He he seems like a guy who holds an offense down to me in the NBA. Interesting uh, that you would bring up Brandon Clark. So I think that you look at him and he is a more athletic, better finishing Draymond Green is what you want him to be. Now, he does not pass it at the level that Draymond does. You know, at Michigan State, Draymond ran the offense his senior year. So that playmaking was always there. I don't know if I see him in that specific role. We had Jordan Sperber on Create Your Shot this past week, and he's a uh, analytics guy, worked for Eric Musselman, worked at New Mexico State for a while, and he's really started to kind of make a name for himself in the media. And we talked with him about Brandon Clark specifically because he is very low on Brandon Clark. I think Brandon Clark's going to sneak his way into the lottery. And I think people are going to look at him more as like a better defensive Kenneth Fareed, where he is always going to be an energy guy. He is an excellent finisher. He is a super athlete. He is never going to take jump shots. And he's going to be able to guard. I don't know if he'll be able to guard centers. I think Draymond's kind of versatility is more generational. And I hate using that term. But his ability to bang with fives in the NBA as a six five six six center is is not something that people can do. I don't think Brandon Clark can do that. But in terms of productivity and what you see defensively, I do think there's a lot to like about Brandon Clark. Now that said, I wouldn't want to be the team taking him at fifteen 
but I would also probably be pretty upset when Brandon Clark's like a good role player on a good NBA team in, in a couple of years. Because I do think there is a skill set there based on pace and space and being able to switch one through four, maybe even one through five, being able to screen and dive as a small ball five, maybe being able to catch it and pick and roll a little bit, put it on the floor, make some passes. I think that's what you're looking at him as. I don't think he's, like I said, I don't think he's more athletic Draymond Green. I do think better defensive Kenneth Fareed for me, a guy who's going to offensive rebound his ass off, a guy who's going to constantly beat dudes up and down the floor. And, you know, Fareed kind of got played out of the NBA, and then all of a sudden this year Houston's finding a role for him. So we'll see if in the playoffs you still can't play Kenneth Fareed. It'll be very interesting to me. Well, that's fine, but you're talking about a guy who's a better version of a guy who you might not be able to play in the playoffs, and you're, you're going to take him in the top 10? I I personally would not draft him in the top 10, but I do think given, you know, it's weird, Chris. Like, I think we talked, this might even have been two years ago, probably a year ago. We talked about the way the NBA kind of evolved, right? And and how you were saying you missed a lot of the physicality. Like now it's just guys just shoot a ton of threes. It's very up and down. Well, at some point, things tend to evolve again. And do is is that next level of evolution that like, you need a bunch of switchy guys who can just guard every position. And if that's the case, then Brandon Clark might be a lot more valuable than people think. But he's, is there a scenario where he doesn't hold your offense back? He, if, if you're playing Brandon Clark, you have to have four other guys in a modern day NBA who can shoot the ball. You need a, 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 a floor spacing five in order to make Brandon Clark work. Right. So maybe Dallas drafts him, you know, and he plays next to Porzingis with Luka Doncic, you know, maybe something like that happens where you have another rim protector. But now keep in mind, Brandon Clark had the best block percentage in the NCAA this year. Like he protects, he protected the rim. (laughs) That is true. That is true. I, uh, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting question. I think Brandon Clark is going to end up being one of the more polarizing prospects just because the production is so hard to ignore. I mean, I I mean, Chris, you saw him in the second round of the tournament against Baylor. I mean, the guy was spectacular. Like he was out of control. And it's like, can you play him with a really good spread pick and roll point guard, which is most point guards in the NBA now? And can you, you know, can you build around that talent? I think that's going to be an interesting question moving forward. I, I do think you can play him without holding your offense back. But also, no, like, I he just has to be so good defensively to not be a net negative, right? Like, that's the issue, yeah. I guess. I don't see it. I remember Tyler Hansborough tearing up the NCAA tournament. And I, I don't want to build a team around him either. And I don't want him in the lottery either. We saw how it all worked out. But act, but Tyler Hansborough, though, you're talking about 6'9", 250 and, and a vertical of like 28 inches. Like with Brandon I Clark, understand they're different players. I'm just saying the guy the guy couldn't space the floor. And I, look, it's not an apples to apples comparison, obviously. I was trying. I, I evoked the name of Tyler Hansborough to prove a point. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't get it. You know, and if you're saying, do I want. Brandon Clark at, you know, eight, nine, 10, or Grant Williams at, I don't know, 15 to 20. I'll take Grant Williams at 15 to 20. That's a popular take of Xander Gellison. He has texted me that a number of times because the expectations on Brandon Clark are going to be, you know, very good, stable piece. And the expectations for Grant Williams are like, well, 25th pick, like hopefully you get something out of him. And that those guys are easier to play up to expectations. I agree with that. That's okay. So that's true. That diatribe aside, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> back to is there anybody I like at the end of the draft, uh, specifically for Philadelphia? So you know Philadelphia, and I know this is this is a more or no more micro look at this, but is it is a team where you're looking to add pieces at this point? And I think there's three very very interesting and feasible pieces. One would have to drop a little bit, but oh, the Nationals come back to beat the Phillies. 
Yep, walk Ugh. off. Yeah, tough, tough day, tough day for uh, you know DC sports. Great day yesterday. Ernie Grunfeld gets fired. I, I'll I, we will get to that. I, I'm not quite ready to speak on it, but then Bryce Harper <laughs> comes in and just kind of like does his thing. Two strikeouts early. Nats are really excited. Hits an absolute freaking moonshot. Yeah. In the eighth. Second like, in two days. Just ridiculous. He has, I think he has the two longest home runs by a National League player this year. And then today, their bullpen blows a big lead, but the but the Nats come back and get it done. And, you know, it just feels like things are not going well in D.C. It just, uh, you know, it's a good – they're going to grasp at some straws, Chris, but it's just it's not great in D.C. right things, now. Things going well in Philadelphia, though. Just take that take that plus 650 – from Bavada on the on the Philadelphia Phillies to the bank right now. So, what's the dream draft for the 76ers in your mind? Okay, there I think there's a very clear dream draft at, you know, that the fir- their own first round pick, I take Matthias Thybul. I think you need an incredible defender, super switchy. He's going to shoot well from 3 as long as you don't ask him to dribble the basketball. He knows his role, doesn't care about his role. Perfect team player. The guy who would need to slip a little bit is Cameron Johnson. He would need to slip from the late 20s to the early 30s. I don't think it's completely unfeasible. Probably won't happen uh, because agree. the team's going to see his value at the end of the at the end of the first round, especially like a team like San Antonio or Golden State. For for Christ's sake, that would be horrible. But uh, my dream would be Tybal in the first round, Cameron Johnson, and Charles Bassey in the second round. I think Charles Bassey may be the single most underrated player in this draft. I don't understand why we're not talking about him considerably uh, more than we are. It's crazy to me that guys like like Bruno Fernando and uh, players like that are far above Bassey in terms of stock. Even Jonte Porter, you know, re-injures his ACL, still probably going before Bassey. I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't see what there isn't to like about this guy. He's a baby. He's he's going to be sixteen. Point, uh, I mean, sorry, 16, 18.6 years old at the draft. He's going to play a lot of the season, I guess the beginning of the season is an 18 year old in the NBA. He, he doesn't play a game that he's not comfortable with. He doesn't try to do too much. He plays within the basket, decent, but still evolving post moves has shown the ability to make an open three shot, 45% granted on, on 0.6 attempts a game. It's encouraging that he shot nearly 77% from the foul line gets rebounds, block shots. I think Charles Bassey, I think he could be a Mitchell Robinson-esque steal, and I just hope it's in Philadelphia. I think the problem with Charles Bassey uh, is that he just hasn't shown elite athleticism as a rim protector. And and so I do think a lot of people view Charles Bassey as more of an old school five, and I I get the optimism. I do, especially with his age. You know, he did reclass. He was old for his class, and then he reclassed kind of where he should be. Playing at Western Kentucky, I, I you know just two hours up the road, not quite two hours up the road from Nashville. I have seen Charles Bassey live a couple times. Don't want to really get into like what the situation was at Western Kentucky, but a lot right. of stuff going on there. Not sure Rick Stansberry's the greatest guy to coach precocious talents, if you will. No, but <laughs> no, he's not. I, I do. I, I don't. I don't see the upside to Bassey that like Mitchell Robinson presents, and obviously has shown okay. us this year. I don't have a problem with the team taking Charles Bassey, especially, like I said, your third pick, if you get him in the second round at 45 or 50, like that is an absolutely tremendous gamble. Now, can a guy like Charles Bassey at his age survive if he's playing a good amount of time in the G League? That's an that's another question. What I know about Charles Bassey, I, I think, sure, he'll be okay. 
But I would be a little bit concerned about that. But I, I don't love the upside of Charles Bassey as a as a future like can we really steal a guy? Because I just think so much of his scoring is going to be tied to what he can do on the low block. He he hasn't shown a ton of ability as a screen and roll big man, and we don't really see we don't really see five men get drafted that way anymore. So I do. Th- I mean, again, the talent is way too much to ignore, especially with the age and, like I said, the the, the probable lack of coaching for a guy like Charles Bassey. Mm-hmm. But I do. You know, with Bruno. Part of the Mark Turgeon thing is like Bruno, you know, he he doesn't get to be in a ton of ball screens. Like it's he's a huge body. Like he he does show some touch. Like they post him so often. So like Bruno might be a guy that you can look at and be like, well, we really can turn him into a screen and dive big. And he hasn't gotten to play like that. And I think that's, how about Gafford? Yeah, I don't know, man. Daniel Gafford's a good player. He really is. But again, like he's sort of just, to me, it seems safe. It's just like guys take these like bouncy five men and they're like, this is going to work out, but he hasn't shown a ton of skills. Now the rim protection, I guess, is supposedly real. But like, I think those guys, to me, it's like, what's your preference? Are do you, you know, and that's where I guess if you're saying like, like with Bruno, he's a very good rebounder and rebound rate has traditionally been something that has transferred. Rebound rate and steal rate have traditionally always, not always, but traditionally they've been a good metric of like, this will translate to the NBA. So guys that are really good rebounders, I always think have a chance to carve out a role for themselves. That's one of the reasons I like Bruno. I don't have Gafford stats in front of me. I would assume he's a pretty good rebounder. I think he's less skilled than Bruno Fernando. Jonte Porter to me, though, I agree with you. ACL injury aside, which is terrible, just a really like not quite tall enough to be a five, not a great athlete, like some skills. It, it seemed very odd to me that people like loved Jonte Porter. But I would say that this year's draft is is somewhat interesting in the sense that like you've you've been on record saying that you think it's a bad draft. You don't think it's good. I have sort of gotten into that mindset that outside of the top, I do think Zion is is going to be awesome. I think John Morant's going to be very 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 good because I think the passing plays. I have sort of come around to this now. RJ Barrett is so is like people just hate him so much because he he cost Zion a chance to be in the final four that like <laughs> we're probably yeah. ignoring the fact that like RJ Barrett's going to be a pretty okay NBA player. He may never be a star. He might be a volume guy, but like RJ Barrett's going to be a good NBA player. And then after that, like I don't I think everything is like swing for the fences. I don't I don't know what else you're really going to find that's like I love this guy, you know? Cuz Well, is there is there a chance that Barrett is Wiggins in your mind? You know, the motor would say no to me. Now sure. the skill set probably is that like, but if there's one guy that I think is more Andrew Wiggins than RJ Barrett, it's his teammate. I like Cam Reddish. I think he's super talented, oh, yeah. but like this has been a tough season for him. And part of it could be like, Hey, you're playing with Zion. You're playing with RJ Barrett who has to take a lot of shots. Trey Jones just was not the shooter that people expected him to be. They could not find another shooter. Coach K for some reason had to play a five man instead of just playing Zion with small guys around him. Like, but man, Cam Reddish, like the lack of like, an on switch to me is very concerning because the, the skill set's there. Like he's six, nine, like he's long. He can really shoot it. Like he's super athletic, but at that to me looks more like Andrew Wiggins because it's like, well, you're drafting him on what he can be. And one thing that we ignored about Andrew Wiggins is that he played decently hard, but he never became the defender that people expected him to. And he just never turned into that like good of a basketball player and to overcome not having a motor and also having a lowish basketball IQ that's very difficult to do, Chris, I think. Well, well, I think Reddish has a considerably higher basketball IQ than than Wiggins does. I don't even think that's comparable. But I said this the day Cam Reddish committed to Duke is that this is the worst team he could have possibly 100%, gone to. 100%. 100%. It, 
if as a naturally passive basketball player to end up in a situation where you have two alphas in Barrett and Zion, he's going to defer and he's going to happily defer. If he went, you know, if he went to Indiana, actually, the, the place I really want, I think would have been a lot of fun was would have been Vanderbilt, especially if Darius Garland didn't get hurt. Playing with Garland and Samisha, too, would have been really interesting for Reddish, where he could have done a little bit more in that offense. But he's just, you know, he, he just floats. He floats through entire games at Duke. You don't know he's there. And it's just he he's wasted an entire year of development. And like it was the idea that he was going to come in and like just be a floor spacer. Like you're, you're ruining, uh, you know, he needed to be in ball screens. Like we're looking at a guy who never got to the rim. And I don't know if it's like he, he had one of the worst finishing rates among wing prospects ever. And it's like and it's <laughs> could he not get to the rim? Was there not enough space? Like Coach K is unequivocally one of the best three basketball coach college basketball coaches of all time one of the best five whatever I don't care I'm not going to split hairs he did a very poor job managing this group of guys I thought and like we can blame it on them having freshmen and like not having a lot of experience but when you're playing a team like Michigan State like why, why is he consistently playing a true five man he he had five four guys on his team for sure that could have been primary pick and roll ball handlers in different spots on the floor and we literally never saw that. We never saw Cam Reddish with a chance to handle the ball. Zion very rarely had a chance to handle the ball, even when he proved he could do that, if it was even in transition. And it was just all R.J. Barrett and then teams daring Trey Young to shoot because they went under every single ball screen. And so, like, you're exactly right. Like, some team probably in the top five or six is going to say Cam Reddish was woefully underutilized this year. It was not a good fit. I don't want to be that team. That was all I'm saying. There is enough that I saw this year that would would very much scare me about Reddish. Whereas with Barrett, there are some warning signs, not very efficient at all. But at the end of the day, I know that sucker's going to play hard. He's going to come out and play his ass off. Whether or not he's going to make a lot of shots, I, I don't know. But that's where, like, that's where the Wiggins comparison is with me. Barrett, I, I just like I said, I just think he plays too hard to ever be a truly, truly bad NBA player. Yeah, you know, the team that I could have seen taking a shot on Reddish high, and actually, I guess this this ties into both sides of this, because it looks like they're not going to keep their pick right now. It's, it's Dallas. Dallas, Reddish would have been a really interesting piece with Porzingis and Doncic, but, you know, they're, they're three games behind Atlanta for that five pick, which is their protection limit. So probably going to lose their pick to Atlanta. Now, as I was saying, he's also kind of interesting on Atlanta playing with Trey Jones, John Collins, and those guys. Who is, who? Out of curiosity, because I haven't heard your opinion on this, who is the team taking the Wizards out of it who you would like to see most win the lottery? What's the most interesting fit for Zion? Because I think one stands above everyone I mean, else. Atlanta's probably the most fun playing style for him with Trey Young and with John Collins. You know, you find another wing if they do end up with another pick. I personally, though, just just in terms of what I think is good for the NBA, I, I would like to see the Knicks win the lottery. And and and, I, and so, like, I got crushed for this because they were like, why would you want him to go to the Knicks? Like, they'll ruin him, whatever. I am under the opinion that Zion is, at this moment, unruinable. Now, certainly, David Fisdale, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. I honestly don't. But Dennis Smith, Mitchell Robinson, like, Kevin Knox was terrible this year. But, like, with Zion, maybe you do get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I don't know. I think that would be the most, if you will, like injection of Zion, like into your veins. Like you would see him every single night and it would be very exciting to see him 
in that market because I think he is the one guy that we've seen since LeBron equipped to handle that sort of media. And so I'd like to see that. But I do think Atlanta Atlanta would be a lot of fun. And then the other team that would be a lot of fun, I think it'd be fun to see him on Dallas. I don't know. That's if they, my team. Yeah. That with Porzingis my, and Doncic. I think that's so much fun. Yeah. I, I could see either one of those teams would be really exciting. Tell you where I don't want to see him. Don't want to see him in Phoenix. No, definitely no, don't want to see. Thing. Definitely don't want to see him in Chicago because Jim Boylan <laughs> would ruin anyone's time of having fun playing basketball. And the one, like I said, the one thing about Zion that I think is the most exciting, and I mean, sure, Chris, like this year was weird. Like people were actively rooting for Duke. Like people have never rooted for Duke. You know, right? But the joy that he plays with is so infectious, and I don't want to see him go somewhere where that gets squeezed out of him. And I think, like I said, New York, I do think would just amplify it. I think it'd be so much fun to. To have the garden buzz, but well, you know, but da- Dallas, Dallas would be a lot of fun. As a Sixers fan, I, I can't wrap my head around the uh, the Knicks. I would, if that's the case, I would much just prefer that that Sacramento wins the lottery and 76ers take Zion. Which I mean, they obviously wouldn't. They would they would use him as a trade chip and I don't know, maybe get Anthony Davis. Whoa, whoa, like whoa! That. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You think the, they would not? You said that you think the Sixers would not take Zion? No, I don't think so. I think they. I think that's almost certainly a, a traded pick. How many teams do you think would not take the, him if they if they were to get the first pick? I mean, the Sixers are in, like Boston would take Boston would take him. I don't think there is any team that would take anyone over him. Let me let me preface with that. I, I, absolutely, I understand what you're saying. But other teams that would use the trade, uh, uh, the Boston thing's hard because uh, apparently, you know, they weren't willing to commit fully to trading that number one pick should they win it in, in this whole Anthony Davis conversation that went on prior to the trade deadline. The same thing with New York. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's another team and I'm not, and I'm not saying that Philadelphia wouldn't take him. I think Zion would be an abysmal fit in Philadelphia. With how they play basketball, you can't add another non-shooter to that team. But what 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 about this? And this is this is funny. This is, you you think on this type of like level, I think sometimes. But I I know you you have an affinity for Ben Simmons. Would you consider trading Ben Simmons and drafting Zion? What are you trading Ben? So you're trading Ben Simmons instead of the number one pick. Yeah, that's what I think. Like, would you consider adding Zion with Embiid and then figuring out a way like, all right, we need what we really need is a point guard. I mean, obviously, Simmons is tremendous. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not denigrating Ben Simmons. No, here, no, no. Like, this, the Simmons-Embiid fit has been clunky at times. They've added Jimmy Butler, who has been actually very good, despite what the media wants you to think. And Tobias Harris has been a good fit at this point. I would assume that both are going to resign. We don't know that. Like I said, I don't think you can ever take Jimmy Butler at his word. But if they were to win the lottery... Does it make more sense to move Ben Simmons or and 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 move on with Zion and try to see if you can change Ben Simmons into, you know, a point guard, another pick, like something along that lines, and then have, you know, you, you've got seven years of Zion at that point. Because here's the other thing with Ben Simmons. The elephant in the room on Ben Simmons is I would be stunned if he turned down a rookie max. Mm-hmm. I would be stunned because it's just never happened. Agreed. But he doesn't really need the money. He signed with Clutch Sports. We don't know if he wants to play next to Joel Embiid. With Zion, you got seven years to try to figure it out again. I I don't I think there's an argument that you take Zion and you try to move Simmons. Well, here's the issue that you run into. You you run into ancillary problems if you make that move. Because all of a sudden then Tobias Harris is now a clunky fit because you know you're playing two, three, fours together. Jimmy Butler is a two if you keep him. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, In that role, you would you would have to play Zion. He, here's where I think the thing with Zion is interesting. Like, I don't think he's really a bad fit. 
anywhere, I am, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like you cannot. It, it would be honestly. I hope the Sixers win the lottery. This is funny. Hey, me, too. I hope this, me too. I hope the Sixers win the lottery, and I hope they take Zion because I want to so badly see Simmons, Butler, Harris, Zion, and Embiid on the court at the same time, and see how any team would ever score on them. <sighs> yeah, look, hey, I am all for the Sixers winning the lottery. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. That's a problem I am willing to deal with. <laughs> But I do think that the likelihood of them using that as an asset to acquire another star would be the way it is. You know, because even, you know, even if you're talking about who would you rather have, Zion Williamson or Anthony Davis? It's a good question. Because uh, I do think like if New Orleans won the lottery, like that might be enough to get AD to stay. I don't think that I they, think I that's fascinating too. I was going to get to that. I, I think it's fascinating. It's like you get to play next to a guy who's like, he's a perfect fit next to Anthony Davis and with right. Drew Holiday. And then all right. of a sudden it's like, well, now you have three, you know, like I, I don't know that Zion's ever going to be a first team all NBA player. If I had a bet on it, I would bet he would be. But I don't know that we can get those odds on Bovada at the, you know, the outset <laughs> of his career. But it's like, I do think that with Zion specifically, you just you end up in a situation like Anthony Davis just has always struck me as a guy that wants to be a, a number two. Like he's just not the Agreed. face of your team. So you mm-hmm. have Zion. All of a sudden, there's a lot of juice left. You keep Julius Randle. Like, and then all you know, you're sitting there with like you got a point guard as well. I, I think today I would still the contracts aside. Like obviously, I wouldn't want Anthony Davis on a one year deal. I'd rather have Zion. But if I knew I could re sign Anthony Davis. I think I would still want Anthony Davis. That that's just kind of, but I don't know how many guys I would say that for. Like Giannis, sure. Like Anthony Davis, sure. Kevin Durant, sure. Steph Curry, definitely. Like Harden, definitely. Like can I throw than- a crazy one out for you? Go ahead. Can I throw a crazy one out for you? Let's let's say, and this is this is like NBA shattering kind of move here. Let's say that Kevin Durant says he's not going to resign with the Golden State Warriors. Would you do a sign and trade the number one pick in the draft for Kevin Durant if no, you're Philadelphia? Who says no? Who says no to that in that scenario? Oh, that's uh, man, that's interesting. And that's I hate a, Kevin Durant. I'm not saying I want him in Philadelphia. I would certainly accept him in Philadelphia. I don't but, know that Golden State. I mean, Golden State would definitely do that if Durant's not leaving. Right. If Durant is leaving. Right. If they if they know Durant's out, then like obviously Golden State has to do it. And I, I, I can't imagine that the Sixers wouldn't do that just because it's Durant. You know, now I don't I don't know like I don't I don't know that that I mean that's like that is like an earth shattering thing though. Like my brain is like pulsing with with like how could the NBA stop that? Because it'd be it'd be freaking <laughs> miserable. But like yes. Zion like Zion with the Warriors would be super fun too. Like that's not going to happen. Obviously, I mean, I don't know. No. I, I should knock on wood and say it's not going to happen. But I, I think that like the the fascinating part about Zion Williamson is that like now we're getting to the point where people are nitpicking him. And it, it, and sure, like is he going to shoot forty percent from three? Probably not. But like Blake Blake Griffin worked his ass off and turned himself into a great three point shooter. Like I mean, I mean, truly a, a very good three point shooter. So it's it's not like Zion's not capable. Now Blake's always had a little bit better form. He's changed his form some too, but like. I, I truly don't know other than like Philly, I get it with a clunky fit, but like, I don't know a place where I wouldn't feel comfortable adding Zion to any team. I, I think like he's that interesting of a guy to play with. I think in the NBA in transition, he's going to be an absolute nightmare. And then, like I said, I do feel like his defensive potential is out of control because he covered up so many mistakes for Duke, like in, in a smaller court game too. Like he's a one, he's a one through five guy to me. Like you're looking at a 285 pound 
I would love him as a small ball five. I think his real role is like supercharged Draymond Green. And now again, don't want to like limit how special I think Draymond's basketball IQ is. Because I, I think it's, it's otherworldly. Don't know if Zion's ever going to be that. But in terms of what you see and what you see from him, like, I mean, the sky's the limit with the kid. And that's where I think like he could really go anywhere. Yeah, I only I mean, I only bring up Durant because I'm looking for a, a potentially available superstar. And obviously Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard wouldn't make sense because you're not going to trade Zion Williamson to the Toronto Raptors if you're the Sixers. Um, I want to I want to talk about super quickly about Draymond because I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this earlier when we brought it up. He is a free agent after next season. What do you think happens there? I don't know because I I fully think the Warriors this year are going to be. I think they're going to lose Clay Thompson and I think they're going to lose. Wow, Kevin really? Grant. Yeah, I do. I, I think Clay is going to go to. I like pretty. I'm like pretty sure Clay is going to go to Lakers. Like I think it's going to happen. Uh, and then if I'm the Warriors, I don't. I've had this argument with a lot of different people. Like like I said, Draymond Green, unbelievably good NBA player, but if Draymond Green's your th- second best player you're probably not that good you know like and 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 I've I don't know Chris like I kind of it feels very weird to say this but like the current iteration of Draymond I think is a top 20 player in the NBA but I also don't want to be the guy really? that ha- you really? yeah I do I think he's that important to what Golden State does but I don't want to be the guy that's like all right we just gave Draymond Green 100 million dollars now he's a secondary scorer and playmaker, but oh yeah, we don't have Steph Curry. And so like yes, yes. he might not be as good. And it's 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 a very interesting dichotomy of like who Draymond Green is as a player, because I think he views himself as a super important player and one of the best players in the league. And I think he's right. And I also think he's wrong. And I don't know how that's possible. What kind of contract do you think he gets? Because I mean, you're talking about a guy who's averaging seven, seven, and seven this year. <laughs> I don't know. And that's why I think he needs Golden State to re-sign him. Like he just has to have them. Be but the he, team I think he's going to be insulted by what they offer him. So like, what's going to happen? Like Detroit's going to offer him like four years, 140 million. And Something he's going to go to Detroit. I think, I mean, I don't see a scenario where he makes less than 20 to 25 million a year. I would say the, the, the floor is 20 million a year because I don't think given what he does, like this isn't an Isaiah Thomas situation where he is overrated because of the numbers that he puts up or underrated because of the numbers he puts up. I think people, basketball people know how valuable Draymond is and how he can change your defense around. But you've got to be very careful with who you sign, with with who you reach out and, and what you pay him. It, there has to be two other offensive like stars on your team for Draymond to be the best player that he can be. So like... Right, otherwise like, then I, I, you, I you have you, Draymond I, taking four threes a game again, and that just can't happen. I'll give you a good one. So Ernie Grunfeld gets fired. Great day for the Wizards. 44% winning percentage in 16 years. Zero 50-win seasons in 16 years. Zero conference finals appearances in 16 years. So, unfortunately, Ernie, you're out. Wizards are in. Do you, if you're the Wizards, in a year, whoever comes in and cleans up their cap mess, and no one's taking John Wall's contract, it's totally fine. I'm, I'm a big John Wall guy. He's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. It'll be, you know, the last two years, he's had some stupid hashtag for the summer. So it's going to be like rehab summer this year. <laughs> yeah. Brad Beal, I have been told, you know, that Real GM report came out that Brad Beal wasn't gonna, was considering not signing a Supermax. I can tell you from sources on the inside of the organization that that is 100% untrue. He has never okay. said anything like that. So assuming they're moving forward with Wall and Beal, I would be okay with Draymond Green being paid like a superstar to be the third guy for those two players. Because 
I wouldn't mind going small around him. And then hopefully the new GM isn't an idiot and doesn't think that Andrew Nicholson is going to be your stretch four for $10 million a year. And then like you end up piecing guys in around those guys. But now all of a sudden you have an all league defender. Now the other thing with Draymond though, he's old. Like he's getting yes, older. Like there you go. Four year college player. So he'll be 30 year- when he signs his free agent. Correct. So are you concerned about Draymond, a guy who remade his body, remade his career, but is not an elite athlete? And like, how is that guy going to age? Like, how's he going to be at 33 if he loses a step? I, I don't know the answer to those questions. But I, like I said, I do think you, you do need to be very careful that you have two other guys who can carry the load offensively because the second you sign Draymond Green, you're like, all right, he's our second best player, our second best offensive player. You're probably not going to be as good as you think. Like he can't be the guy shouldering the load. He can be the guy being your secondary playmaker and, and making sure guys get shots because he is a very creative player on offense. But you just don't ever want him to have to finish at the rim, and you don't want him to have to shoot threes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm worried about you're seeing looking at some of the advanced stats. Like the the offensive box plus minus is a negative 1.5 this year. He's only a 1.8 vorp player. The win shares his are down. Offense, over- his offensive box plus minus is negative 1.5. Yep. That's that's not good to see. No, his his BPM in total is a one point seven. His warps a one point eight. He is, a, I think, a three point nine win share player. I don't know where that went. Yeah, three point nine win share player, less than a win share game. Ugh, is is this a down season? Is he is he sort of because you know we've you know, we've played plenty of basketball in our lives, and we know that there are guys who check out when they don't have the ball a lot, and that's. Draymond has seen the ball significantly less than he has uh, been accustomed yeah, to with the acquisition of Durant and all of that. So does he get more interested again when he has the ball a little bit more? You're banking a, on some some sort of ineffable things. That's a really worthwhile question to ask, I think. Like, I don't think people have really – like, Steph Curry is just so great, just, like, historically great that, like, his numbers have, have sort of dipped but not really because, like, he's just – Steph Curry is just tremendous. Klay Thompson, whatever role Klay plays – Whoever he's the same guy, you know, like he, he just make threes, like guard the other team's best perimeter player, like don't dribble the basketball, it's fine. Like Clay is really good, but Draymond, you're exactly right. Like you got to feed the beast a little bit, and Kevin Durant sucks up ISO possessions. Like the Warriors' offense has stylistically changed in the last two and a half years, two point seven five years that Kevin Durant's been there. We we're not seeing this beautiful game Warriors anymore. In fact, against Houston last year, it was the most ISO heavy series in the playoffs. Like, that's what we see now. And Draymond Green, bless his heart, Chris, he is not an <laughs> ISO player. That is no, the sir. worst possible system he could be in. So, like, what's the, what are the chances that, like, Draymond Green just hates Kevin Durant, too, by the way, just to tie this all in one big bow? Like, <laughs> I don't think, think he hides it. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I did think, though, just in, in terms of the Warriors, before we get out of here, like, the galvanizing situation with the referees last week, maybe that's something to move forward. Cause we've kind of looked at it and been like, do the Warriors not like to play with each other? And you know, we, we see them against the Timberwolves. Steph Curry makes a huge three to tie the game. He's pointing at the refs, Draymond subtweeting the refs. Then they get a, they get hosed on a bad call. Minnesota wins everywhere anyway. But like, maybe the Warriors are finally starting to be like, Hey, basketball is fun to play. Like we're not going to be at each other's throats. Cause this whole season has felt like a really tough job for Steve Kerr. Like you've got, these great Hall of Fame players that are at each other's throats, you know? And it, it feels like maybe, do, do you think it can unwind in the playoffs? Yeah, I can. I think I think if they struggle early, I think this team can fall apart. I really do. We know that the, historically they have relied on, we're just better than everybody else. 
and we're going to win regardless of what kind of basketball we're playing. All of a sudden, you know, like you said, the fun warriors that we watched three years ago is gone. They don't exist. No, no, this is, this is ISO. And, and it's funny how one player can have that sort of impact too, because if you're playing on a team where everybody's moving the ball, you're willing to move the ball. But if you're playing on a team where you're afraid that the ball's not coming back, you're much more likely to shoot the basketball. And that's what we're seeing in Golden State. That's what we're, we're seeing even more of those pull up 30 foot jumpers from Steph Curry because he doesn't think if he passes the ball is coming back. If it goes into Durant, he's going to ISO. He's going to pound the ball for eight to 10 seconds and try and get his. This, he completely changed the, he completely changed this team the way a great unselfish point guard and people really, there's a lot of crap on like Lonzo Ball and Ricky Ruby on people like that. I happen to like both of them quite a bit. But just because of the effect that a, a hyper unselfish player has on a team, it, it, you can't quantify it. And the, the reverse is 100% true as well. And I would say that Draymond Green has always been, despite his attitude at times, on the basketball court, he has, in general, for most of his career, been a hyper unselfish player. Like, absolutely, that's who he is. Like, he knows his role on defense. He covers up a ton of mistakes. He wants to pass the ball. And so it feels very dirty to, like, defend Draymond Green because he is just so unlikable sometimes. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, I, I get what you're saying. And, and it seems to be the two of us being hard on Kevin Durant. And I don't want to say that I am hard on him, but I would love to see him play with Kyrie Irving because they're just two of the most interesting minds in the NBA. And I don't know how it would go. In fact, I would argue that... Like you said, it's pretty likely that it would not go great. So I don't, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I do think that this year's playoffs is going to be exciting, and I think it's going to be very fun to watch what the general public decides to do about Giannis because I think that like the Bucks are really good and they're just kind of a freight train. And would the general public root for Giannis against the big bad Warriors in, in an underdog role if, in fact, they get there? And so I think that's kind of like this whole like good versus evil sort of narrative that I could see happening. But so you think Bucks definitely come out of the East? You know, not definitely. I I, I worry about Bud being able to coach young guys. Sometimes he, he's you know they, he was good in Atlanta, but never could quite get over the hump. I I think the Bucks are very. I think they're the best team in the NBA. They they've been the best team in the NBA this whole season. I don't think they're better than the Warriors, but they have sort certainly played better than the Warriors. I think they, I think they create the they they have the most versatile set of lineups right now. But if Malcolm Brogdon's not healthy, then they then they're not that much more versatile than Toronto. And then, like I said, Philly has the best starting lineup in the East. So if Brett Brown figures it out and those five guys, you know, get some contributions from other people, there's no reason Philly can't. And and even Boston, if Al Horford's healthy, like those four teams, to me, it, it seems like much more. I would say Milwaukee, Toronto. Boston and Philly is kind of the way I think it'll go in terms of like who I think has the best chance to come out. But if any of those teams came out, I wouldn't be surprised. I just, it would not surprise me at all. Milwaukee, by the way, another team that just flat out built their team the right way. You get second round steals in Brogdon and Middleton. You, you draft Giannis. I mean, they could have never known that he was going to grow four inches and turn into this guy. But boy, they, this is a team that is built the right way. And then, then the Brooke Lopez acquisition has been so incredibly important for them. For some reason, they're still playing Pau Gasol. Like, I just don't get it, you know? Yeah, it's weird. Also, Pau's done. a little bit more breaking news. The 76ers have added to their veteran depth and signed oh boy. Greg Monroe for the rest of the season. Really? So, yeah, he just got signed. He has now played for four out of the five teams in the Atlantic. So 
you know, maybe knows things about Boston. Who knows? I, I, I and Toronto. I don't think so, obviously. But uh, Greg Monroe, yeah, going to be playing for the 76ers for the rest of the year. So, oh, doing doing Justin Patton dirty. Apparently, they did not like what they saw in the, uh, saw of him in the G League. So it'll be interesting, uh, Chris. I appreciate you filling in this week. Like I said, and I don't Absolutely. know. We we don't know. You know, Zan's probably going to have his his baby out on the basketball court next week, so he might not have time. So. We may be back together again next week. We may not, but I appreciate you coming in and filling in. He is the host of The Underdog, airs every Wednesday with the fantastic Anshu Khanna. Also, The Underdog Sports NFL Show, which will come back. What about the AAF, Chris? You guys ever talk about that? It did just get canceled, so I don't know. If- yeah, we, t- we talked about the AAF a little pretty heavy on The Underdog yesterday. If anyone's interested in my thoughts, Anshu Khanna's thoughts, who is much smarter than I am, check out yesterday's uh, episode. It uh, came out today, today's episode of The Underdog on The Underdog Sports Network with other great shows such as You're Wrong and Here's You're- Why and, t- and Tyler's Shows, which uh, I'm not familiar with his name. <laughs> Uh, as always, I'm Tyler Laurie. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us, zandrickellison at gmail.com. And as always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, and leave us a review. But that is it from us this week. Chris, we will be back next week. Thanks for filling in, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.